<coughs> well, Leviticus 25 is a great uh, chapter for us, the, uh, the year of, of Jubilee. And the idea of proclaiming this year, verse 10, you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee to you. Uh, this is very much the, the language that is used in Luke's Gospel about the, the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus. Now, in Luke, it seems to me there's a lot of connection between how the Gospel finishes and how it begins. There's a number of words that are used at the beginning of the Gospel and at the end. Now, in Luke 4, verse 19, we read that Jesus proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. He proclaimed it. And that is the, the very same word, uh, Greek word, that is used in the Septuagint here in verse 10 for proclaiming the good news of the, uh, of the year of Jubilee. And at the end of Luke, I said that how Luke begins is how Luke finishes, you've got the same word again, Luke 24:47. Repentance and remission of sins should be proclaimed or preached in his name among all nations. Now, the year of Jubilee, as we saw there in verse 9, began on the Day of Atonement, which obviously looked forward to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. So, Jesus died on the cross, and that was the, the beginning of Jubilee. So, the whole period in which we now live, after the death of Jesus, is one of Jubilee. And we are then to proclaim this good news to other people. And what is that good news? Well, it is particularly good news to the poor, and that is very much Luke's theme. His Gospel talks a lot about the, the joyful response of poor people to the, uh, to the message of Jesus. So the good news of Jubilee was that <clears throat> actually nothing that you think that you own, you own permanently. If you're in debt, well, the year of Jubilee, it's all forgiven. And if you've got people who owe you money, well, you've got to realize that at the day of Jubilee, that's all scribbled, that's all, that's all over and done. Because the land, verse 23, is mine. That you don't actually own anything. <clears throat> so, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, for this word Jubilee which in Hebrew simply means a, a sounding of trumpets, it doesn't have any great meaning, but the Septuagint uses a word that is used often in the, in the New Testament for release or redemption. And the good news is, is twofold. One on a, a purely practical level, that <clears throat> the good news is that you needn't worry about your material situation in life because actually nothing that you're owning or trying to own is ultimately yours. It is all God's, the land is mine. This is as liberating as the uh, teaching we found in Leviticus 17 about blood, that the blood must always be poured out, and this was something that was stamped into the, the rhythm of Israel's daily life, pouring out the blood of any animal they killed, realizing that if they didn't do that, then they had to lose their own blood, they had to lose their own life. Uh, there's a very tough punishment in the law for not doing this, for, for eating blood or taking blood to yourself without offering it to God. The punishment for that was that you lost your life. And the whole point was <clears throat> that actually Israel were not living their own life. Their life was God's. And here in verse 23 of our chapter, the land is mine. 
so many people can never really focus upon spiritual things and upon God and his son because they're so caught up with stress over an argument about a will, about an inheritance, about money, about uh, problems with paying the bank back. Are the bank gonna, is the bank going to take my property off me because I can't pay the mortgage? Uh, trying to keep in with the boss because you don't lose your job because you're in debt and all this kind of stuff. It, it's all the, the sort of stuff that you know, modern life is made up of. It's that which we are released from. And that really is good news. But of course people don't want to take it. Uh, if you go around knocking on people's doors telling them, look, all your higher purchase agreements, all your mortgages, all that stuff, you know what, it's all scribbled, it's all over and done now. Um, they would think you're crazy. But actually that is the good news of Jubilee. I said that was the, the first uh, meaning I think you can, you can take from this. The second is, of course, the good news of, of forgiveness, that our debt is ultimately... Uh, to God for our sins and it is a debt that is colossal and is unpayable and yet that is all scribbled because Jubilee has been announced and so this is such good news that as they were to, to proclaim this throughout the land to all its inhabitants so we are to proclaim this uh, using the same word uh, in, in the Greek um, that the same word that the Septuagint uses here for proclaiming, we are to proclaim, Luke 24:47, uh, remission or jubilee of sins among all nations. We are to tell absolutely everybody of this good news of forgiveness. Now, you need to just have a, a quick check on what you are actually teaching to people, because certainly the way that I uh, grew up in my spiritual life, the idea of, quote, preaching was that you went to somebody uh, or mentioned to somebody that, um, oh, a situation in the world is real bad, you know, it's all fulfilling Bible prophecy and uh, such and such nation, it used to be Russia and now it's the Arabs or whatever it is, uh, again, to invade Israel and, you know, Jesus is going to come back. And, you know, frankly, most people couldn't really care. Um, <clears throat> because their lives are, are weighed down, whether they are rich or poor, happy or unhappy in this life, their lives are weighed down with a load of other stuff. But underneath, the sensitive person and the thoughtful person, the person who potentially has a heart for God, will be concerned about their own moral inadequacy. And I would say that direct talking to people about the possibility of forgiveness is far more compelling than talking to people about prophecy, uh, etc. Of course, the final issue in being forgiven is that we shall be redeemed, literally, and receive a literal uh, land inheritance when the Lord Jesus returns, and a literal inheritance of land in God's kingdom on earth. But that, I think, is the second part of the Gospel. The things about the Lord Jesus are very much the things of forgiveness. And yes, they all have issue finally in the kingdom of God, the things of the kingdom uh, on earth. So then, our debt is ultimately of sin to, to God. That is what really should be getting you concerned, if you haven't got it sorted out, far more than other debts that, that you may have. Now, <clears throat> in uh, verse 15, they're told, according to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor. Relative to the number of years of the crops, he shall sell to you. 
So hanging over all their business dealings and their practical dealings was the fact that the year of Jubilee is to come. And in a sense, that's how we live, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. But of course the point is that the year of Jubilee was proclaimed on the Day of Atonement at the cross. And we are living now in that situation. So therefore we are to keep a, a light hand on all this material stuff that goes on in our lives. Uh, money we borrow, debts we have, debts we are owed uh, in various ways, financial and otherwise, of forgiveness and all sorts of other things. Now, <clears throat> when Jesus says in Matthew 6 verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, I think that as he was a Jew talking to Jews, he probably was making an allusion to the Jubilee. We release or forgive men from their debt to us. <clears throat> and on that basis we also uh, have right now the experience of Jubilee, the release, the forgiving of sin. And if we choose not to participate in the Jubilee by not releasing, not releasing people from their debt to us, from their sin to us, well, we'll just live the life that everybody else lives in this world, terribly caught up with worry about what I owe and what I am owed. The idea that ultimately all debt is in the final end to God, in the very end, even material debt, because everything is his, the land is mine. You borrowed money from a bank, ultimately and finally, in the final analysis, it's all God's anyway. It's not the bank's in the first place. So this is a very liberating idea, but you've got to live in that spirit uh, all the time. And as I say, it's, it's very, very liberating. So that when riches are increased, set not your heart upon them, and when, as often happens the other way round, when you lose things and your things go down in life, well, likewise. It's, it's all God's anyway. Ultimately, I didn't lose anything. It's all God's, and this is only a, a very brief experience now in this world, and we are waiting for the year of Jubilee. Now, verse 20. If you were to say in your heart, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Verse 21 seems to suggest in the Hebrew that then, in that case, I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year. That, I think, is a concession to weakness. God's saying, look, I will provide for you. And Israel is not of itself a particularly fertile land, particularly bearing in mind that the land promised to Abraham was the land between the Nile and the Euphrates. There are parts of it that are fertile, but they've mainly been made fertile. But God is saying, look, I will somehow make that not particularly fruitful land. I will make it really fruitful for you. And therefore, don't worry. In the sixth year, you make sure that you keep the, this cycle of Sabbath years, etc., and the Jubilee year. Uh, don't worry, I will provide for you. And these very words out of verse 20 are quoted by the Lord Jesus, and you may like to scribble it in your margin, Matthew 6, verse 26, and Matthew 6:31. Take no thought what you shall eat. The birds do not sow nor gather into barns. So don't think, what shall we eat? Look at the similarities in verse 20. What shall we eat, sowing and gathering? Jesus is really saying, you are to live in that spirit, not just in Jubilee year or in the, uh, in the uh, sixth year before the, uh, the, the Sabbath year, every seventh year. You are to 
realize that you're living permanently in that situation. Now, I have said that um, the final inheritance of the land is in the kingdom. And verse 28 um, that in the in the jubilee the land shall be released and he shall return to his possession. So they got their possession uh, on jubilee year. Ephesians 1.13 uh, talks about our place in God's kingdom as our possession which has been purchased by the blood of Christ and which we're going to receive as an inheritance at his return. Uh, that again I think is jubilee language. So then we will receive our permanent possession when the Lord Jesus returns. And as I say, it was particularly good news for the poor. And why are people poor? Well, yes, people could be poor in Israel because other people had manipulated them, stolen from them, etc. Or you could become poor, and I suggest this was mainly how it would have happened in Israel, you could become poor by your own poor decision-making. But no matter. The year of Jubilee put that right. And so it is, I think, with a lot of poverty, and I don't mean just financial poverty, but poverty of spirit in this world and in our own lives, a lot of it is poor decision-making. It really is. And... Uh, I'm not, uh, of course, uh, insensitive and hard-hearted to the needs of poor people who become refugees or suffer from earthquakes, etc. Um, but I'm talking about a lot of the poverty in many societies that we uh, that we encounter. A lot of that is is just poor decision making. But God doesn't say, "Yeah, well, that's your problem." The perspective is the year of jubilee, that there is release. And, of course, we are to live, as I keep saying, in that spirit right now, because Jubilee Year has been proclaimed as a permanent era, if you like. Now, he goes on, straight on, starting in verse 35 to the end, to talk about um, how to deal with the poor. And that is in keeping with this whole spirit of Jubilee release. That's why this chapter starts talking about the year of Jubilee and then talks about how to deal with, uh, with, with the poor. And again, it is an implication, I think, that your attitude to the poor in the year of Jubilee, in its essence, should continue all the time, every year. Although that is made specific in the New Testament when we read of this jubilee being proclaimed um, to the whole world as a way of being in Christ. It's like a notice uh, going off slightly from the, the, the track, verse 37, you shall not, not lend him your money at interest nor give him your food for profit because I am the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you as a gift the land of Canaan, because of my gift to you, you are to be generous to your brother. It's interesting that in the parable of the talents, the Lord Jesus uh, says to the man who has his one talent, he says, why didn't you lend this out to other people for interest? Or at least you could have given me my interest. Well, of course, that was not according to the law. Why does he say that? I think that he's saying to the man, look, what is, what's led to your condemnation is that you did absolutely nothing. You did nothing. 
even if you had done something with what I've given you, even if it was not the best, and even if it was a technical infringement of God's law, you know what? I would have accepted you. It's as if he's saying absolute idleness and doing nothing spiritually with what God has given you, that is so abhorrent to God, it is more abhorrent to God than a technical infringement of his law. And uh, I think the important thing is that we do something. We live in a very critical world and very often we, we fear the eyes of people that, oh, I might mess up, I might this, or it might not be the best thing. All this is, is so wrong because in the end people do nothing. And this is particularly an indictment, I, I think, of our community, particularly in the Western world, who have been so blessed with, with the knowledge of God, with so much exposition, with so much understanding, with so much wealth, so much uh, capability and possibility. And it seems to me that very little is, is done, and we need to actually take that warning very clearly, that if you do nothing, this is absolutely abhorrent to God. Better to do something, even if it's not the best, and even if it, technically you're on the wrong side of God's law, then do nothing, because for sure it's not that salvation is by grace, it is by works. Uh, but on the other hand, if you've received the grace of God in vain and have done nothing with it, uh, you know, faith without works is, uh, is dead, uh, and it's as simple as that. So all the time, as you see in verse 38, it's because God has redeemed us from Egypt, that therefore we are to be kind and sensitive to the poor. So this is alluded to in the end of verse 46. Um, don't make slaves of your brethren, and do not rule over your brothers with harshness. This is exactly the language of Exodus 22, 24 to 27, about how the Egyptian taskmasters made Israel slaves and ruled over them with harshness. And he's saying, you can treat people how this world, Egypt, treats God's people. Don't do that, or you will suffer the judgment of this world. So we are not to treat each other as the world treats people. You know, endlessly critical, legalistic in our approach, demanding uh, everything, refusing to forgive, uh, charging full price. And I don't just mean uh, economically, I'm, I mean in terms of being unforgiving, etc., slightest upset with somebody, oh, well, I just shrug and push off. Oh, well, I'm not going there anymore. I won't have anything more to do with him or her or whatever because they said this or that or the other. If you act like that, you're treating people how the world treats them. And this is exactly what, if we have really felt release by God uh, from Egypt and from our own sin, this is what you will not do. In verse uh, 55, we have a, a really quite amazing statement. For to me, the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, he says it twice, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. We are all servants. We are all slaves of God. And therefore, to in any sense uh, rule over our brother, who is also uh, our fellow servant, this is totally wrong. And when Jesus talks about uh, the fellow servants, and he's, he, uses that he uses that phrase to talk about us within the ecclesia. Fellow servants. And I think, again, he's taking his idea from this verse 55, that all of God's people within the body of Israel, as within the body of Christ, we are all servants. And we are looking at each other as fellow servants. And of course, uh, 
Paul talks about that in Romans 14 verse 4 when he says that because we are all fellow servants we are not to judge each other and you know all this arises out of in this chapter here Leviticus 25 it all arises out of your experience of the wonder of Jubilee for yourself and that sense of release that wow I am released from my sin now of course if, if you've not seriously engaged with yourself with your own life with your own behavior with your own thought patterns with your own thinking you will not realize the depth of your sin and so you won't have that sense of release of a burden lifted but of course that is what we should be be doing and when that sense of of release is there you will go out into the whole world and proclaim that to other people with joy with every attempt at persuasion not simply some phlegmatic presentation of, of exposition uh, but with joy seeking to persuade people to accept God's grace